Welcome to Successful Parenting, where we, Jackie Rue and Robin Choquette, share practical skills for families to build resilience and healthy connections. As practicing professionals and parents ourselves, we hope this podcast is a resource for parents to grow, reflect, and learn more about themselves and their children. Our approach is simple, tangible, and most importantly, we lead with compassion for the integrity of the families we serve. This podcast should not be taken as medical advice and is intended for informational purposes only. We love our work and we can't wait to watch families gain confidence and open themselves up to new ways of successful parenting. Hello, Robin. How are you doing today? Good. How about you, Jackie? How are things going? They are going good. It's been a little bit of a busy week, but I am coming out of it alive. So blessings for that. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That's the marker. I'm alive. (laughs) I got to hear about this week. (laughs) It's been a lot. You know, there's certain weeks that everybody kind of starts to, you know, kind of want something or need something and things are due and there's deadlines and it'll be interesting what our guest expert today thinks, but I think uh, she would probably say the same that it's it's a busy uh, week in the world of, you know, child and adolescence. Everyone feels like they're in a rush right now. I think feeling like I'm in a rush has been pretty much the, <laughs> the week, but I was really looking forward to today and, and that's kind of carried me through. And, you know, one of my dear friends is our guest expert today, and she's somebody that I have really looked up to and admired for some time. And it, it's Dr. Shelley Fisher. We've met probably 10 years ago, maybe even 15 years ago. And and we just really clicked and I've really leaned on her as a colleague and as a friend. And she has so much knowledge. You know, she has been a school social worker for 14 or 15 years. She has been in so many different roles and as an educator, teaching others and working with families. She has gotten her doctorate in the emphasis of adolescent identity and development, which I'm excited for her to tell us more about. Really nothing but great things to say about our guest expert today, Dr. Fisher. Welcome, Dr. Fisher. Oh, thank you so much. Wow, that was so very sweet, Jackie. And and likewise, I mean, I can't say enough amazing things about my friend Jackie and Robin, who I've gotten to know you through Jackie and have worked with you a couple of times. So it's been wonderful. So thank you so much for having me today. Thank you for being here. Dr. Fisher, tell us a little bit about and take us on the journey of how you got to where you are today, you know, just kind of who you are. Sure. So, you know, I've always been, you know, I say I've always been in social work, you know, believe it or not, I was actually a French major in college. I kind of did my own little exploration and how fun would it be to travel. But I always knew in my heart, I wanted to do something in psychology or social work. Um, As as a child? Is that what you're saying as a child? You know, I... Yeah, I think so. I think more as an adolescent, as you start to kind of try to figure out where you're headed in college, you know, as a degree. And it's funny, my father was actually a school counselor. And he, I I said to him, as I was a senior or junior in high school, I said, I really want to be a psych major in college. And he was like, Oh, that would be great. Just know you're going to go to school for like the next 12 years. And I said, Oh, no way. I'm I'm Mm -hmm. not going to do that. Well, considering the fact that I just defended my dissertation in 2019, I've been in school basically my whole entire life. (laughs) So had I just followed my heart, I think it would have taken me a lot less time. But how I got here today is, again, I had many different roles in social work and um, mainly out on the East Coast. 
moved here back in 2007 um, with two young children and really got interested in the role of school social work and did what I needed to do and, and then applied for uh, several jobs and, and I'm working in Northwest suburbs here in Chicago in a high school of about 1,600 students and we're a large high school district. When I started, I started working with these students who were struggling significantly with substance abuse, with significant mental health issues, depression, anxiety, and they would be hospitalized or have suicide attempts. And I was trying to figure out how to be proactive, how to help them. And many times, many of these students who were struggling so much those first few years of high school would eventually come out as LGBT, you know, junior or even senior year. And some of those mental health issues as they had worked through this would subside a little bit. So fast forward to my doctorate, I was extremely interested in the adolescent identity development and how that happened and what were significant factors that helped or harmed in that development impacted, I guess I should say. And I was attending a conference one day And during uh, the lunch break, they had a panel of parents. Those parents were parents of transgender adolescents. And they were talking about the experience they had, both as a family and had with their child's school. My mouth hung open. As an educator, as a social worker, I couldn't believe the stories I was hearing from these students. Dismissiveness, harassment, homophobic and gender phobic, gender identity phobic language from staff members that I said, this is the area I want to go into. So my research did focus on the experience of families who have a transgender adolescent, um, those experiences they had with their child's school. And that's why I'm here today. And I've been able to follow some of your work. I've really learned a lot from it. And so I appreciate all that you've kind of done to contribute to the community. Oh, thank you. I've, I've had a lot of interest and a lot of school districts reaching out here in Illinois, other places as well, really with how do we support our students and how do we also support our families, whether they are accepting, don't know, not accepting of their transgender students. So I've also expanded that to include our LGBT um, students as well. And I think there's a lot of not understanding. I was recently talking to a family. I said, you know, everyone has a sexual orientation, a gender identity, and a gender expression. And when I said this to the parent, they were like, oh, okay, now I get it. It was a different way to think about it because I think they were trying to sort it all out. But once they could give that, it didn't seem so foreign, like it felt connected to them. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, when we talk about our uh, gay and lesbian community, we usually refer to them as LGBTQ. Well, the T in that is transgender, and the LGB is lesbian, gay, and bisexual. LGB is sexual orientation, and transgender is gender identity. So I think some of that confusion comes with, you know, the inclusion of both sexual orientation and gender identity in that acronym. Sexual orientation is that romantic, emotional, or physical attraction to an individual, whether it is of the same sex or a different sex or different, somebody who does not necessarily 
identify with the binary of male or female. So it is that attraction. Whereas gender identity is our own internal sense of who we are with regards to our gender or sex assigned at birth. And I say sex assigned at birth because so many times, you know, we rely on the medical community to say, congratulations, it's a boy or congratulations, it's a girl. And that follows us through with all of those social constructs that go along with that gender identity. Well, and especially how adults and, you know, others respond based on the identity, right? Like you might respond different if it's a girl or a boy, colors that are used, right? So I think we're learning so much about this. Again, I, I use this often, that social construct of gender, and it's really our social or societal expectations of what it is to be male or what it is to be female. And if you ask, and I've used this exercise in some professional development trainings that I've done, list out characteristics that you feel are feminine or list out characteristics that are masculine. And there are definite differences. So we have these ideas in our head of women are nurturing and loving and men are providers and strong. And a lot of what we see now is kind of pushing back against that gender binary. This is kind of a, an older book, but you might have read it, Raising Cain. Oh, yeah. Um, And it really kind of talks about the expectations for, you know, males even to be able to express emotions and how they're brought up that from a young age, it found and research has shown that if a boy cries about something, you know, they might get a response of, you know, you need to be stronger than that. It's a sign of weakness for boys. And I love that book and and kind of how it talks about how we kind of put expectations based on how we view the gender. Absolutely. And I was talking to a sophomore boy yesterday who said almost those exact words to me. He said, I can't show emotion. I can't show that I'm sad and I can't cry in front of people. So I just get angry instead. You know, he said, crying is as a man, you're weak. And, you know, I try really hard with a lot of our students to dispel that myth. And I go from how good it is to cry from a physical standpoint, biological standpoint, you know, letting them know, hey, your emotions are your superpowers. And there are no wrong emotions, whether you're a boy or a girl or identify as transgender or non-binary, whatever that is. That is so true. And my next kind of question I was thinking about is in the LGBTQ community, um, we often kind of see now like the plus sign is added. What does it mean? Mm -hmm, Sure. So the plus sign is added to LGBTQ. The connotation is inclusion. So instead of just being LGBT, again, and I I said this earlier, the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, they are including all aspects of identity and orientation. The Q right now means both queer and questioning. Queer for a very long time was uh, a negative term and was kind of avoided, but we're seeing more rise in especially younger individuals using the term queer, which means that they identify as not being exclusively heterosexual. So queer can also be an orientation term, but transgender is an identity term. Sometimes you will see I, A, and A after that as well, um, which right now are mean intersex, asexual, 
or ally. And an ally is someone who does not identify um, with the personally with the LGBTQ community. However, they are supportive and advocate um, advocate for those individuals. Well, and I've spoken to many families that had just have a lot of misconceptions and they're really confused. And, and sometimes they come off really, you know, judgmental because I think it's different. You know, we didn't have a lot of information when we were being raised and, and maybe our families or parents had different views. What would you think in terms of misconceptions? Please share with us a few that you find that, you know, when you're interacting with either professionals or families. Sure. I think one that comes to my mind immediately is something that Robin just uh, touched on in that misconception between orientation and identity. Um, so many times I've had students who are socially transitioning to transgender males, yet they're still attracted to boys and men. And I've had staff members privately, you know, not in front of a student, but privately say, I don't get it. And then I kind of go into that, okay, sexual orientation is attraction and identity is our sense of self. So I definitely think that is a misconception. If you are identifying as a trans male, which means sex assigned female at birth, transitioning to be a boy or a man, um, that you would automatically be attracted to the opposite sex or female. So that's a big one. And I think, I think another is it's kind of touchy because it's very gray. There's a misconception on a couple of different levels that, hey, this is just a phase. If I ignore this, it'll go away. What we are finding, yes, all children go through many different phases. And most children will experience, explore, experiment uh, along that, that gender identity spectrum at some point. But if they are, and we have three things we kind of like to take a look at, if they are persistent, insistent, and consistent with the fact that they do not feel or they're not identifying with their gender assigned at birth, then I think that's a pretty important clue that they may be kind of heading down that path, that journey to identify as a transgender individual. Okay. So it's persistent, insistent, and consistent. And consistent, yes. Okay. And, you know, even I have, I have met with parents who have children young as seven. And again, if it's okay for your three-year-old or four-year-old, you know, don't, don't freak out if they're saying, I'm a boy, call me Johnny. Don't freak out over that. You know, watch it. Learn from that. See where they're at. If that kind of goes away within, you know, a, a shorter period of time, then I think it's just some experimentation. But if they're insistent to be called or they're insistent they are a boy and it's a consistent feeling for them, and again, persistence is the next, then, yeah, then start to learn about transgender, start to learn about the LGBT community, really start to educate yourself surrounding that issue. Yeah. And parents, I think, really struggle of how do they open up and start to talk to children. I recently was talking to someone and I said, find opportunities, you know, such as, you know, you're watching a movie and there's a character there, let's say bisexual. And then could you open it up? Oh, I see so-and-so is attracted to both boys and girls. That's okay with me. What do you think? It just opens up in a very safe way, those conversations. Is there anything else you think parents can do in terms of helping develop that open conversation? 
Sure, absolutely. I think starting very young at the dinner table, um, you know, once they're able to kind of understand just in general, talking about acceptance and opening up that conversation, you know, we are all humans, we are all people. And then, you know, moving into other areas, chances are, especially right now, children will have experience maybe having a friend who has two mommies or two daddies. And something like that is the perfect opportunity to start and open up that conversation. You know, why do they have two mommies? Why do they have two daddies? Well, because people love each other. They want to be married or they want to be together. And that's what matters, you know, um, that they love their child. So. Well, and that's such a great point, because as you were even talking about misconceptions, I feel so often misconceptions come from a lack of education and knowledge and understanding. And I encourage families to be mindful of their own biases and just different views they may have that have come from their own parents or families growing up, as well as try to get educated and learn, because I think so often we do our children a disservice by not really educating ourselves and, you know, having that understanding. So I love how you shared that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny, a lot of our biases and we don't even realize come through language uh, oh, yes. and, and what we, how we, or even, you know, nonverbal body language. If we're uncomfortable watching a movie where there are two men in a relationship, our children are like sponges and they will pick up on that. Or if we have a preteen or, or, you know, any age really come to us and say, hey, I've been thinking about this, or what would you say, you know, my friend is gay, what would you say if I, if I told you that? And maybe not even how you respond, you could respond in this really great way and accepting way. But I think watching this nonverbal. You know, we're busy. We go about life very, very busy and our kids come in and out and talk to us. And if we stop what we're doing, what I found as a parent, if I stopped what I was doing, I almost ended the conversation with my kids because they were like, whoa, this must be super important if mom just stopped making dinner to look at me and talk to me. So again, having those conversations and continuing them in more of an informal way in the car or baking cookies together or even watching a show together starts to take that shame away from it and just teaches our children that, yes, we are accepting of this. We are all human and we all share similar emotions and similar experiences. How involved do you feel that parents or families should be with their child's school? What are some tips you would have in navigating some of this? Because there's all kinds of different things that families might face when they are trying to have these discussions and really be um, an advocate for their child. Yeah, absolutely. So during my research, I met with many families who really struggled. And again, I completed my dissertation in 2019. So it was about four three or four years ago. So it's fairly relevant information and experiences. Many of um, the parents I spoke with really struggled with their school in accommodating their child, um, whether it be changing their name, having their child be called by a different name, using different pronouns, the whole way to accessing their affirmed facilities. So that would be restrooms and locker rooms. They really had to educate themselves, learn about their local resources, their local support laws that protected the rights of the LGBT community and students in general, present that back to administrators. But it was heartbreaking to hear some of those stories of the shame they felt advocating for their child because there's just so much that was unknown and 
scary even for educators and administrators. And I'm not using scary in a good way. I I mean, like they just were not really willing to kind of step back and realize that professionally, they need to support all students. And they were allowing their personal biases get in the way of that. Absolutely. I see that too from time to time. Shelly, have you read This Is How It Always Is? Because it kind of makes me think about what you're talking, the question Jackie just asked about being involved in schools and bullying in schools and how parents are worried about this and how can they respond. I just wondered if you read the book because I found it so interesting and the, from the parents' perspective of how they dealt with you know, school and the child and the whole process. Mm -hmm. I have not read that one. I just wrote down the title though. So I'll have to take a look at it. It's really interesting because it's, you know, from the mom's perspective of just talking about it and trying to figure it out. And you can see trying so hard to do what they think is right, but then how often did they get involved in it and and then worrying about being bullied and then how they would try to help the child not be bullied. Mm-hmm. And it was right. just so confusing. What do you think parents should do if they're concerned? If they're concerned about bullying or if they're yeah. not? So I would contact the school immediately. I would contact a social worker and a counselor, a dean, the principal. We had some incidents this year We're seeing a little bit of immaturity and a lack of understanding of appropriate behavior in our younger classes. So we had a couple of phone calls and students coming in, tell us about that. And we responded very quickly that we kind of put extra staff around the hallways. We have a no tolerance policy, but I would be a squeaky wheel with your child's school. And there are laws in place that protect all students from harassment and bullying um, and understanding that. And and there are federal laws, Title IX, protect your child from sex discrimination within a school setting. And now it has expanded to include gender, gender identity, orientation, and even gender expression. So be that squeaky wheel, talk to your child. There is a reality that students who identify LGBTQ are harassed at greater rates In fact, one of the new 2021 studies by GLSEN, which is Gay, Lesbian, Straight Education Network, they do every other year, they do a school climate survey, and they survey thousands, I think it was 25,000 students that they surveyed this year. It was something crazy, like 89% of students report that they are hearing inappropriate language. That's so gay, you're a fag, things like that. 89%. I think it's even higher because I have to tell you, when I started all of this, the numbers have not come down. And I was noticing every other year, you know, starting in 2015, the numbers have stayed pretty stagnant. And it is really concerning. It's very, very concerning. 81% um, of students report they don't feel safe in schools. 81% of our LGBTQ students do not feel safe. 79% of those students avoided school functions and school activities because they did not feel safe or accepted. And then some staggering numbers are 59% report hearing negative remarks about orientation or, or identity from staff members. So we have a lot to do with regards to education in uh, around you know, what this harassment means and what bullying means and a highly vulnerable population of students. So knowing that and not to be 
fearful of that, but going in armed with that education as to why this is so important. I know it has helped me as an ally and kind of make sure our students are protected here at our school and within our district. But I use this a lot because those numbers are very important. The negative implications of that harassment, physical harassment, you know, not feeling supported by staff member includes lower academic outcomes, higher absenteeism, sometimes a greater increase in homelessness, especially if there's rejection by family, lack of planning and lower rates of post-secondary follow-through, you know, looking at a tech school or a college or anything like that. And of course, there's higher rates of mental health issues as well. Well, and I think our, our children at the end of the day want to be accepted for who they are, you know, not only accepted if they fit into a certain mold. And I think across the board, you know, our children want to be embraced for that, you know, in a genuine way. And so I think families are learning more and more about this. And I, I really do think for a lot of families, it, it is really just a lack of understanding and knowledge. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I love that you're sharing and spreading because I think it's so empowering for families as well as for the children. Yeah. Yeah. One question, too, is children become teenagers. You know, we know that part of adolescent development is to have interest in dating and things like that in relationships. Honestly, dating can be scary for parents, right? You know, right. it used to maybe the old saying was let's start at 16. And now kids are developing those interests earlier and, and starting to date. Is this especially true for families of LGBTQ youth? Do you have, um, have you seen this? Do you have any suggestions for families? Um, yeah, you know, it's funny that I definitely have suggestions. It's more of a general suggestion, I think, too. If, if you are aware your child is identifying LGBT, I would absolutely encourage healthy relationships and age-appropriate dating, whatever that means for your family, across the board, you know, regardless of whether they are dating somebody of the same sex or the opposite sex. You know, it's the same for all. Get to know who is coming, you know, who is picking them up, who they are talking to online. We talk about that often, who their friends are, and really just encourage those age-appropriate, safe dating practices, which then would not, it, what it does then is it sends that message that LGBT relationships are normal. And they're not like you have to be extra cautious or do this or do that, um, but they are normal. And again, these are things that we all think about regardless of who we are dating at that point. Because I think it's so true when you said that it's coming out of our own fear if we respond in a way that you need to be careful, you need to be cautious, people may not, like we're instilling them our fears in them if we start to really overreact when it comes yeah. time for them to start to date and, and to be out. And I think so often we find in parenting, we do that a lot. Of yeah. Our own fears come through and we respond out of our internal experiences. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, too, Robin, kind of along those that same line is we respond out of our own fears. And those fears were communicated during my research and also in, in the research I've done since when a child comes out, to a parent, it is a huge deal for that child to kind of go to their parent and say, I'm gay, I'm lesbian, I feel like I'm a boy, I'm, I'm non-binary, um, whatever they may say. And there's a lot of relief that happens on the part of the student, a part of that child, because they've been mulling this over, scared to, to admit it. And once it's admitted, it's kind of off their chest. But that opens up a whole range of emotions for parents. Uh, one being fear, and it can be that fear for safety, 
you know, oh my gosh, are they going to be discriminated against? What is going to happen to my child? How do I keep them safe? Are they going to be assaulted because of their identity or orientation? So it really opens up a lot of that. And many times I think parents can be hard on themselves. You know, they view themselves as the most accepting um, and open-minded and they've raised their children to be the same and they've had all those right conversations. And then their child may come out to them and they may step back and go, whoa, what just happened? You know, why am I struggling with this? Should I be struggling with this? What's wrong with me? So I always, you know, reinforce and emphasize to parents, there's no wrong emotion, none whatsoever. You know, you love your child. Your child is your child, whoever they are attracted to or however they identify. Um, And that's the most important part. Yeah. And you're talking about that and I'm thinking about mental health. Can you give us some insight? And you had mentioned, you know, the mental health that you see for individuals, anything that you could kind of give us any insight on and maybe some resources that our families could utilize? Sure, absolutely. The mental health impact on LGBT children and adolescents is significant in that um, there's an increased rate of depression, increased rate of anxiety. Um, I had mentioned increased rate of absenteeism, you know, for fear of safety in school, and increased rate of substance abuse. I think the most concerning statistic, and this has gone up um, since I actually defended uh, my dissertation, so this seems to be on the rise, is that 45% of students who identify as LGBTQ have thought and considered suicide, which is very significant. So again, this is this can be a mental health emergency. Now to clarify, orientation and identity do not cause those mental health issues. It's the way we society has stigmatized and treated those individuals who identify as LGBTQ. Those are the most significant things. Having a supportive parent or a supportive adult, having that support at home significantly decreases that risk for suicidal ideation and completion by about half. So that that is, again, just regardless of where you are personally as a parent, remember that, that this is your child. And by just supporting them, calling them by a different name or accepting their orientation, that you are doing them a huge service. Oh, you always give us so much insight. I mean, yeah. this is... This has been such a great conversation. I love learning from you. I know Robin has a few questions to ask you as we close out. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, okay. so here are three questions we ask all of our guests. You may answer one, two, or all three. It should be up to you what you want. Okay, so the first one is, tell us one of your funny parenting stories. Now, this could be from your own childhood, and it's about your parents. Number two, what TV, family, or movie would you want to be a part of and why? And number three, what does successful parenting mean to you? So take it away, Dr. Fisher, one, two, or all three, whatever you want. Well, you know what? I think I'm going to tell you, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of do a little of all three. One of the shows I think I'd like to be a part of, if you've ever seen the Goldbergs, um, (laughs) it's a sitcom. So the Goldbergs grew up or, or they live outside of Philadelphia and, and, it takes place in the 80s. So it's near and dear to my heart with growing up in the 80s and living outside of Philadelphia. But what I love so much about them is just they're so human and mistakes are made, things are said. 
but they always come back around. They always support each other and they always love each other. So with a lot of humor mixed into that. So I, I've loved that show for sure. Um, it is a good one. Yeah. So a funny parenting story, and it has to do actually with my son and what he shared with us at one point. He he came in, he was a freshman in high school, I believe, and was I was sitting outside with my husband and we were having some conversation about something and he kind of walked in and seemed very, very nervous. And he said, and this was just a few years ago, it was probably, you know, five. So I've been a social worker involved in this field. And he said, I have to tell you something, mom and dad. And we're like, okay. He said, I'm bisexual. And we paused. And I was thinking all of these emotions started flooding me. One of them was, this is what I do for a living. What is going on? Like, what am I doing? And my husband looked at him and calmly said, hey, that's awesome. Your playing field just opened up by 50%. <laughs> and I looked at him and my son was like, yeah, right? Guy gets up, leaves. And I'm like, okay, that was probably genius. And then on his part. So I tell that story often. Yeah, he's definitely normalized it and uh, was accepting at the same time. So I appreciated him in that moment. <laughs> so, and what's successful parent mean to me? I mean, that's a hard one. I've been thinking a lot about that one because it, it it's not an end product. I believe it's continuously happening. It's part of that journey. But I think just knowing you have given your child wings to explore, to experience, to be who they want to be, and allowing that, you know, our children aren't ours. We don't own them. We are just graced by their presence. And, you know, hopefully with our love and guidance, their time with us that we can help them become the best individuals that they can be. So yeah, giving your kids wings, I think is one of uh, an indicator that you've got done a pretty good job. <laughs> I like that. Giving your kids wings. Love it. Love it. Thank you, Dr. Fisher. This has been a great conversation. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you speaking with me today and um, keep up the great work. This is you're, you're both doing an amazing job with this podcast and very needed and very much appreciated. Well, and I look forward to seeing you soon, my friend. I have missed you and I am glad that we got to connect and your children are amazing. So that oh. is a testament to you. And oh, I look forward you. to, and you know, my children. So I do. you've actually, you've actually helped shape my children. So that is, <laughs> that yours, is awesome. Yours are amazing as well. And wait till I tell you what my son's up to now, Jackie, you'll love it. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I will love it. I love, I love that. I love that whole age. They're so free just to make mistakes and yeah kind of explore and just do whatever. And you just kind of have to hold your breath in. Yep, <laughs> yep, okay. <laughs> so I will talk to you soon and thank you listeners and everyone have a great day. Right. Thanks everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye Jackie. Bye. Thank you for joining us and make sure to subscribe and like us to catch our next episode where we will take you on a journey to find new ways of successful parenting.